Welcome to the Cyber Guy Podcast, your source for engaging cyber education, cyber discussions, and a look at current cyber news and trends with retired FBI Special Agent Darren Mott. Hello, friends. Good morning, evening, afternoon, whatever time you're listening to this podcast. I am your host, Darren Mott, retired FBI Supervisory Special Agent and host of this Cyber Guy podcast. I appreciate you taking the time in your day to listen to me go on about a variety of different cyber topics. We're going to, this is season three, episode two, episode 97 overall. So coming up on episode 100, and I'll try to think of something interesting to do for that one. Um, if you are enjoying learning anything from the podcast, please, as a favor, feel free to subscribe, leave a comment. That does certainly um, help me and, and, and get more visibility uh, to the podcast. Let's get right into it. We're going to start off with some cyber news of note for this week. Um, we're going to talk about a couple things this week, actually. We're going to talk about, some obviously, some new stuff. We're going to talk about why there's no reason to fear artificial intelligence, uh, and that is going to lead us to our cyber smart parts of the episode, a cyber smart piece for business and a cyber smart piece for individuals. But first, I want to talk about um, something I like, probably always talk about when it comes to cyber um, matters, and that is the badness that is China. So this is an article from CNBC titled, Chinese state-sponsored hackers infiltrate U.S. naval infrastructure, the Secretary of the Navy says. Well, yeah, no kidding. This is, I mean, welcome to the party pal kind of thing. So this is from May 25th, the last Thursday of last week. Um, the U.S. Navy has been hit by Chinese state-sponsored hack that was disclosed Wednesday. Secretary of the Navy Carlos Del, to Del Toro told CB CNBC's Morgan Brennan on Thursday. Um, Del Toro said the Navy had been impacted by the cyber attacks, adding that it is no surprise that China has been behaving in this manner, not just for the last couple of years, but for decades. He declined to provide further detail on the incursion, but suggested that the Navy had been tending with cyber attacks like this for years. And sure, I mean, let's think about it. The Navy infrastructure, uh, all the ships, all the things that help fuel the ships have an undergirding cyber network infrastructure and those things are vulnerable to attack um, especially if you take a look at the supply chain that the u.s government the department of defense uses for all of their computer oriented items that are computer oriented networks across all the services they are all target for state-sponsored attacks specifically from china and russia iran north korea so on and so forth um, but this just goes to show the continued attitude of china that they're you know they're going to continue to try to hack Everything, not just, I mean, this is this is obviously an article about the Navy, but I guarantee you the Army, the Air Force, the Marines, the Coast Guard, your local National Guard probably has some kind of Chinese-related uh, incident that they can discuss and disclose. Well, they will not disclose it. That's the kicker, is because obviously there are sensitive tactics and procedures and sources and methods that they want to keep secret. But my argument here is you can still discuss the intrusion or the incursion, as they say in this particular uh, article. But the thing is, I mean, honestly, um, without knowing, without letting others know the method of intrusion, there's entities that have whatever that vulnerability is that caused the Chinese actors to get into this naval infrastructure. It's going to happen to other companies, other areas, other businesses, other national defense oriented networks, things like that. We have to come up with a way to share this intelligence across all both the public and private sector. And I've said this a lot. Public sector is those things associated to the government. Private sector is those things obviously associated to um, the commercial commercial world. Uh, and so with that in mind, you know, it's important that um, we think about 
sharing cyber intrusion information. Now, the Biden administration in the first year of, of existence created an executive order creating the Cyber Security Review Board, which is supposed to go into all of these major intrusions uh, like an uh, NTSB does with, with plane crashes and train accidents and come up with the reasons why it happened and explain to the public why this happened. Let's be honest, they're not doing it. They, they think they are. They've done like two things. There's been very limited uh, value in what they're doing, but there needs to be some kind of paradigm shift in how we share, how we impact, how we look at these kind of activities and share the intelligence with others. I'm going to stay on this, this, this hobby horse for a long time, probably more so than even my TikTok issues, um, because this is the important piece. If we do not, if you do not understand the threats targeting you, you cannot assess your risk and proceed wisely. I mean, you've probably all sick of me hearing me say that, but it's kind of the tagline of this podcast. We can't know what those threats are if the people who are being impacted by the threats don't share the information of what the threats are. So this, I, the reason I highlight this article is because it shows that, okay, yeah, the Navy says they got hit, but they're not saying how they got hit. How's that helpful? I mean, great. It was great. A news article. Yeah, they did a news article, blah, blah, blah. And in this new article, it says Microsoft issued a warning Wednesday um, uh, 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 saying the warnings alert corporate and public enterprises that a sophisticated Chinese state-sponsored hacking group had successfully exploited a vulnerability in a popular cybersecurity suite. You know, did you say what the suite was? How about telling us what that was? That'd be, wouldn't that be really helpful? Because it's not in this article that I can see. Now, maybe... Um, Oh, the vulnerability exploded by Volt Typhoon, which is another, um, which was a big thing uh, last week or a week or so. So, you know, I'm sitting here. Let me see if I can find the Volt Typhoon um, CISA report and see if it says what that software suite was. So let's see if we can do that while we're sitting here. Uh, Okay, here's the Microsoft report. Um, so I'm going to Microsoft. Uh, this is really good planning on my part, not having this already set, but hey, it is what it is. Microsoft uncovered stealthy and targeted malicious activity focused on post-compromised credential access and network system discovery aimed at critical infrastructure organization. No, no kidding. Okay, yeah, critical infrastructure. We know they're targeting those things. This is not a surprise. But let me see if they tell you what the particular vulnerability of the software suite is. So I'm reading through this. Microsoft is choosing to highlight this Volt Typhoon activity at this time because our significant confirmed and potential for future impact to our customers. To achieve the objective, the threat actors put strong emphasis on stealth in this campaign, uh, relying on live on the land techniques, which means they're, they're in your network and doing bad things. Um, let's see. Tries to blend into normal network. Yeah, no kidding. Okay, so they do these are things they do. Um, ba, ba, ba. I'm reading through this. I do not see the particular software suite that they talked about, but here's a link to the cybersecurity advisory from the NSA. It's a PDF. So let's now go and take a look at what the NSA has to say about this particular Volt Typhoon activity. And I'm going to guess that the uh, naval intrusion was also Volt Typhoon related. That's just a code name for some kind of Chinese state sponsored group that's doing this kind of thing. So this is an advisory from a whole bunch of people from the NSA, from the DHS CISA, from the FBI, the Australian government, the Australian Cybersecurity Center, the National Cybersecurity Center in Great Britain, um, and Canada. So this is a whole five eyes thing. We got other, the only thing missing here is New Zealand having anything to say. Um, but see, what? so all they said is one of the armed actors' primary tactics 
Techniques and Procedures, or TTPs, is living off the land, which uses a built-in network administration tools to perform their objectives. This TTP allows the actor to evade detection by blending in with normal Windows system. So they're somehow they're engaged in Windows, obviously. Um, some of the built-in tools this actor uses is our WMIC, NTDS, Util, NetShell, and PowerShell. The advisory provides examples of the actor's commands along with detection signatures. But again, I don't see the software suite here. So, well, this is a very long report. And if you want to go get it, you can certainly take a peek at it. If we go down here to chapter page 15, talks about their TTPs. Let's take a look at that in real time. All right. So let's see. We've got manage engine AD self-service plus. I mean, I'm getting, I'm getting in the weeds on all this, but uh, essentially they use compromised small office, home office devices like routers to obfuscate the source of their activity. The most common types of routers they're targeting are Asus, Cisco, RV, Drake Deck, Viger, Fatpipe, Fortinet. I'm thinking Fortinet is probably the big problem here, among other things. So, you know, obviously this is the same thing where it's not easy to find out exactly what the intelligence is here. And if you are a small, medium business, how is this? This I'll tell you this 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 report from the NSA, CISA, and FBI is probably little help to you if you don't have. Uh, good cyber leadership or someone to really assist you with that. So again, I, like I say, like I like to say, and I'll mention when I get to the cyber smart for business, find partners that can help you at least start to work on becoming better stewards of your own digital information and try to protect yourself online. All right, article number two. This is, uh, I saw this on LinkedIn, hat tip to Corey Munson of PCmatic who brought this to my attention. Um, but it's from Cybersecurity Connect. This is actually out of Australia, I believe. Don't quote me on that, but uh, yeah, it's Australia. Basically, it's a it's an opinion article by um, Malavika Santhabinur, Apologies if I mispronounced uh, that name. That came. This came out May 30th. But blanket ban on ransomware payments not beneficial, says the lawyer. So I'll just really read this kind of kind of briefly. But in April, Latitude Financial announced that it would not reward criminal behavior by paying a ransom to cyber criminals that stole client data stored by the company in mid March. It reasoned that paying the ransom would spur further criminal activity and place more Australian businesses at risk. According to a company statement, around 7.9 million driver's license from Australia to New Zealand and 53,000 passport numbers were stolen. Okay, super. So if we go down here, um, let's see. The issue of ransomware attack is high on the agenda for the government at the moment. We have seen cyber attacks over the last... Um, over the last 12 months, but we have not yet seen clarity in Australia or yeah, or globally around how we combat and manage the threat of businesses subject to ransomware attacks. So one of the points she's making here is that, you know, governments are starting to think about, and there's, there's, you can, if you want to go read the article, it's at cybersecurityconnect.com.au. You can go see this and it talks about um, putting a blanket ban a governmental blanket ban on paying ransom. Now, again, how do you enforce that? It's a good question. It's going to create a third market of, I mean, a black market of people who can make those payments for you so you don't get caught. But anyway, um, and my argument on this is I agree that paying the ransom is helping to fund criminal activity. But as a business owner, if you are a victim of ransomware, first off, you probably had poor cybersecurity controls in place to start with. That is unfortunate, but here we are. So if you are hit with ransomware, then you have to ask yourself, okay, I, I've now what am I going to do? Do I, do I have backups? Can I rebuild my network and get all my data back? Is my data being held hostage? If I have to pay the ransom to get my data back to save my business, I got to do that. You have to do what's best for your business. I will argue, always argue. And creating a new class of criminal 
who are victims of already a crime is not the way government needs to go to look at this. Partially because, let's be honest, government people, politicians don't understand cybersecurity at all. So asking them to come up with policy to do this is 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 a bad bad plan because they're they're going to look stupid. I mean, look at the when the TikTok CEO went and talked to the U.S. House of Representatives, it was embarrassing. Some of the things that were said. Now there were some people that understood what they were talking about. So there was a couple congressmen that were savvy in the tech world, but for the most part, it was quite embarrassing. Um, but all that to be said, I think the market can figure out how to do this by creating cyber leadership capabilities and business opportunities to fill the gaps to help businesses become smarter at cyber and improve their cyber hygiene and not become victims. So certainly that's um, something I'm working on, to be honest with you, something to do uh, to help consult with businesses and help to keep them, at least start them down the road of being safe. Because again, if you hit with ransomware, you probably weren't prepared for it to start with. Um, You didn't have the controls in place and it was just a matter of time. All right. Next article, if you are an Android user, congratulations. There are over 400 million infected with Android spyware right now. This is from Tom's Guide, tomsguide.com. This is from two days ago. Um, This was on Friday, June 2nd. Malicious Spinock spyware module found in 101 popular Android apps. So if you are a proud Android owner, there's a good chance that you have an app on your phone that has a malware strain that is distributed as a software development kit for advertisers. So as reported by Bleeping Computer, discoveries made by security researchers at Dr. Webb who found a spyware module inside infected apps they dubbed SpinOK, I guess is a better way to say it. The reason this new Android malware is being referred to as spyware is due to the fact it can steal private data stored on the best Android phones and send it to a remote server controlling, controlled by the hackers behind this campaign. App developers likely added the SpinOK module to their apps as it appears to be legitimate at first glance and uses mini games to provide users with daily rewards with the aim of keeping them interested. Unfortunately, though, SpinOK performs a number of malicious activities in the background while checking an Android device's sensor data, including its gyroscope and magnetometer, to determine whether or not it's running on an actual phone. So there's a whole list of different apps Um, And according to Dr. Webb's report, um, the antivirus maker claims to have found 101 apps that were downloaded more than 421 million times from the Google Play Store, which is which is unfortunate because clearly Google was not able to block them out. Now, ideally, Google will find these and have a way to um, remove them from your phone. But I mean, for example, one of the apps is called Noise, N-O-I-Z-Z. It's a video editor with music, has 100 million downloads. Um, chances are you know someone with that on their Android. Zap, Zapia, a file transfer sharing app, 100 million downloads. Vfly, a video editor and video maker, 550 million downloads. Again, so you can go and you can find a list of all of these apps. Um, where So it's at GitHub. It's at GitHub. So if you go to GitHub and look for malware, Dr. Web LTD, that is the GitHub repository that will list all of these particular uh, Android spyware apps. So if you have an app, if you have a Google, uh, an Android phone, you need to make sure that one of these apps you did not download. Uh, otherwise, there is data being fed from your phone to bad guys who can do bad things with that information, which is probably something you don't want to do. And chances are they're in Eastern Europe, Russia, China, somewhere like that. So, so look for those things. Again, Android users, not to say Apple's, you know, Apple's a little better at it, obviously, because we don't see 400 million Apple devices being impacted, but that could be next week's article. So I guess we'll see if that's what happens next week. So Android users, update your phone. 
look for those apps uh, and remove them from your phone as soon as possible. If you are listening to this and your kid has an Android or phone, you want to go check their phone for these apps because chances are they are not listening to the Cyber Guy podcast and unaware of this at all. Uh, so there's a risk there to them of their data being stolen. So help others help themselves. All right, last article will lead us into the cyber smart piece of the action. Let's make this whole thing the cyber smart piece for the day. So there, since I paid for this cyber smart podcast theme song, I'm no longer doing that particular podcast by itself. I figured I'd play it. This is the, so we are now in the cyber smart part of the Cyber Guy podcast. Your seven to 10 minute look, educational look in this crazy thing we call cyber. Yeah, okay, great. There's the music. Okay, so this is going to be AI related today. Um, so obviously there's a lot of news about chat GPT and uh, DAL-E, which is a video cre- uh, image creation, artificial intelligence by the same company that does chat GPT and a whole bunch of artificial intelligence stuff out there. And then there's always the the uh, secondary news articles about AI is going to kill us all. Skynet's coming. Oh my God, it's going to the end of the world. So I found, and this is a hat tip to Chase Cunningham, Dr. Chase Cunningham, uh, who posted this. Um, so I'm taking it from there from ynetnews.com. Um, this is a, uh, opinion piece, really. Uh, it's a, it's a, a Jewish uh, website based out of Tel Aviv. Um, but it's opinion piece and there's really no reason to fear. And I, I like it because I agree with this. There's no reason to fear AI because there really is no AI. In other words, there is no artificial intelligence. So it's time to put an end to the apocalyptic prophecies regarding artificial intelligence. Chat GPT and its counterparts are more akin to powerful calculators than to intelligence and threatening beings. Throughout history, the economic impact of new technologies has actually been positive. And that's really the key line here is this is just a new technology. We need to embrace it for what it is use it for what it is and not be afraid of it for God's sake. So uh, more from this article, the machines will, this is a quote from Bertrand Russell in 1935. The machines will do all the work, leaving mankind with nothing meaningful to do. We will become passive independent, losing our purpose and sense of fulfillment. So this is in referring to machines in 1935. Do any of you um, feel passive and independent on machines and have lost your purpose and sense of fulfillment? I'm going to say probably not. So Russ, this is the uh, more from in the, uh, the writer of this opinion piece is Dr. Zohar Bron- Bronfman. Um, so Russell, this is uh, Bertrand Russell, was one of the most important and influential philosophers of the 20th century. He, like many before and after him, exaggerated fear of technology and especially of what it could do to humanity. Of course, there's some truth in these words, as well as those of others whose bleak forecasts can be found even in the pages of this newspaper. Every technological leap has positive and negative impacts. Or effects. But it is clear that for the vast majority, advanced technology brings with it more positive developments than negative ones, and the latter can be reduced and contained. So unless you've been living under a rock, you've probably been exposed to the wave of advanced technology sweeping society in recent months, the AI wave. These learning algorithms, which are generally referred to as artificial intelligence, are primarily based on large, large language models or they're also called LLMs, that are capable of conducting a human-like conversation on a variety of complex topics purposefully summarizing many sources of information and even producing content based on external prompt. But simultaneously with the growing population popularity of these impressive tools across the general population, it is difficult to ignore the flood of opinions, statements, articles, letters, and petitions warming warning of a new existential threat. Just as the fear of machines during the industrial revolution and the fear of computers in the 20th century were proven wrong, the same will be true of what we call today artificial intelligence. Um, and then he goes on, I'll, I'll explain why. So basically he says, the first is that 
the one that attracts the most has a fear. AI will overtake humanity. The fear, as we have read in books and seen in movies, is that machines become sophisticated to the point of developing a non-human consciousness, motivated to control resources and end up becoming more sophisticated than humans replacing them and subduing them. That's the first fear. The second fear is that AI will eliminate many jobs and cause unprecedented employment and so on and so forth. As for the first main concern, which was expressed by Elon Musk, Steve Wozniak, Yuval Noah Harari, and others in petition cause calling and others in a petition cause calling to pause AI development for six months, we can and should relax. So here is the main thrust of his article. And again, there's, there's more to it. I'm not going to read the whole thing here because you can all go read it if you want to. But in short, there is no reason to fear AI if there really is no AI. The truth is the fact that we call something AI time and again does not make it real AI, and that is correct. Humans tend to attribute objects with qualities or characteristics in a kind of reflexive personification. This is a known flaw that stems from our amazing ability to automatically formulate a theory of the mind that is to put ourselves in another's shoes and feel their feelings, even if it is an object. So that is really, and I, I think that's a great point, is that AI is just another, it's, a, it's an evolution of technology. Now, bad guys are going to figure out ways to use it. Good guys are going to figure out ways to use it. So you got to ask yourself, are you a good guy or a bad guy? And then figure out that, okay, here's what this is and how can we, how do we use it correctly? So um, I'm going to read another, another paragraph here. It says, they say guns don't kill people, people kill people. This is also true in this case. There are many ways to deal with this concern, and they should probably be realized simultaneously, both on the technical level and the social, cognitive, and regulatory levels. This is precisely why there are regulatory bodies and experts in technology. Society. Okay, that's, uh, I kind of skipped through a bunch of stuff, so I probably should have read more, but whatever. Here's his, his final, his conclusionary paragraph. Like any breakthrough technology, GPT and other language models create a new reality and as such require broad attention and reflection from us as a society. But these models are far from imitating or replacing the human spark. The spark that invented these models and many other inventions that changed our lives. The responsibility to preserve this unique spark is on us. And the solution to this is not to halt development, stop research, or ignore the existence of advanced language models. It's time to stop spreading bleak forecasts. Absolutely. This is not a, AI is not a bad thing. It's a thing, but it's not a bad thing. It's not a good thing. It's not, it's not anything other than just a thing. It's a tool you can use to make your life easier. And I use this, I'll be honest with you, I use it quite frequently to help me with certain things when I'm trying to come up with outlines and stuff. It will create an outline. I can then modify it as I need to, um, but it saves me a lot of time. So for example, for this, for this Cyber Smart for Business today, here is, here is what I'm going to tell you. The top three things business owners should know about a, having a good cybersecurity program. So the three things you should do. This is, and this is from ChatGPT. I put this in the, into ChatGPT, asked it to, to spit this out for me. I said, you should do a risk assessment and management. One of the most critical aspects of a good cybersecurity program is understanding your business's unique risks. Hmm. Who says anything like that? Understand the threats, assess your risk. I think I do. Not all businesses face the same threats, right? You got to know what the threats are. So it's important to conduct a thorough risk assessment. The problem is really is most companies don't do that. So you got to start with that. If you don't know, if you don't understand the threats targeting you, you can assess your risk. So you have to do those things. Number two, proactive approach. A reactive approach to cybersecurity where actions are only taken after a security incident is a flawed strategy. Yes. Do not think I will worry about it when it becomes a problem for me. That is a bad plan because when it comes for you, it will be expensive in one way, shape, or form, either by the amount of data loss, either by brand loss and um, 
you know, getting in the news and, and having things go bad, things like that. You have to come up with a proactive approach to how to do this. That involves continuing continuous monitoring of systems, regular updates and patches and important security office uh, audits. Now the problem, obviously, if you're a small, medium business, how do you do all these things? Again, find partners that you, that you can, that you can help, help you with that. There are plenty of individuals and entities and businesses out there that can help you start down this road. Um, if you need more information on what that is, contact me directly and I can help you with that. Either direct you to the right thing or maybe do it for you, whatever. We can come up with ways to fix that. And then the, the third thing, something I've talked about ever since this podcast began, user awareness and training. No matter how robust your security software or how stringent your policies, your cybersecurity is only as strong as your weakest link, which is often the users. 90%, this is not ChatGPT, this is me saying this, 90% of intrusions occur because someone clicked a link or went to a website and did something they weren't supposed to do. So human, again, this now this is this is from ChatGPT. Humans can unintentionally compromise systems by falling for phishing attacks, using weak passwords, mishandling sensitive data. Regular training and awareness programs are essential to ensure everyone understands the importance of cybersecurity. That's the key. Regular training, not once a year training. It has to be regular, has to be kind of short, and it has to be meaningful, as I've said many times. Again, I did not this is chat DPT basically the same thing I've been saying forever, which kind of validates me. So that's getting good. So that's your, that is your cyber smart for business part of the podcast today. Those are the things that three things that you should at least look at to start to help you form a better understanding of your cybersecurity posture and your cybersecurity hygiene. Because if you do not do that, you will become a victim. It's not a matter of if it's a matter of when. So, but I did the same thing for individuals. So here is the cyber smart part for you as an individual and how to keep your safe, your home safe. So I asked a similar question, list the top three things individuals should do to keep their home computer network secure and reduce the risk from cyber bad actors. Now this will come as no surprise. It's things I have said many, 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 many times over. So it's basically repeating what I've said, but it got, it's good to know that, you know, these language models kind of are pulling information from a variety of different resources and summarizing it for us. And they're summarizing these top three things, regular updates and patches. Obviously you have to, you know, keep your applications up to date because bad guys target vulnerabilities to get into your system. Software developers, developers regularly release updates and patches to fix known vulnerabilities. Cyber criminals often exploit these vulnerabilities to gain authorized access to systems. They do that often by sending you an email that you then click the link and bad things can happen. Number two, use strong, unique passwords, enable multi-factor authentication. Raise your hand if you have not heard me say that at some point in these 97 episodes. I have probably said it 97 times at least. So obviously strong, strong password, multiple, you know, lengthy and enable multi-factor authentication. If you don't know how to do either of those things, you can contact me. I will help you. It will not cost you anything. I'll help you do those kind of things and help your family, especially your kids and your older um, your older, the older people in your family do these things as well. It is, can be, tr it can be burdensome. I'm not going to lie, but it's the, probably the most important thing you can do to keep everybody in your family safe. And the last thing, secure your Wi-Fi networks. Basically what they're talking about here, two things is change the default credentials on your Wi-Fi router, because those come with default credentials. If you don't change them, a bad guy could theoretically access them and have access to your router and then use your router for all sorts of things, get into your network, find out what your network, what's on your network, that kind of stuff. Use uh, in strong encryption on your Wi-Fi network. And most people do this now. I've yet to, I really used to be, um, if I moved into a new, new neighborhood, I could find someone with, with an un, un, unsecure Wi-Fi and I could kind of hop on that to use it until I got my own internet in my house. But it's harder to find now. Everybody's at least password locking and, and using encryption for their Wi-Fi network, which is great. 
But one thing most people don't think about, two things, disable remote management of your router. In other words, if you wanted to access your router from outside your network, that setting is enabled. You have to kind of know how to get to it, but it's there. Bad guys know how to get to it. So if you're not going to use it, and nobody, most people don't. If you're in the cybersecurity world, you may, but if you're, it, most people are not using remote management of the router. So disable it, turn it off. Just click the button to turn it off. You go into settings, turn it off, and you're good to go. That's safe. And it's also a good practice to set up a guest network for visitors to keep your main network more secure. That because the bad guys can't really jump from the guest network to the main network. And I've actually gone a step further and, and bought a second router. So I have an actual second router that I hook all my Internet of Things devices to, my, my um, TVs, um, my, my camera, my Wi-Fi camera outside my house and stuff like that is all connected to a separate router that there is no way to jump from that to my main network where my computers and all my personal information is. So you should do those things obviously to keep yourself safe. So that is this episode of cyber guy podcast. I thank you so much for taking the time to listen. Please tell your friends, tell your coworkers. Um, I hope to have uh, in the next week or two, a uh, special edition with uh, some talking to some folks and doing some interviews. I'm going to go back to doing some of those, but most of these are going to be kind of like this setup where we talk about some news, talk about some cyber smart issues and things like that. Uh, feel free to email me, Darren at the cyberguy.com. Darren, D-A-R-R-E-N, cyberguy, C-Y-B-U-R. You can also follow me on LinkedIn. Just type in Darren Mott. You'll find it's not hard um, because it says cyber guy all over it. So it's really easy to find. Uh, again, please uh, subscribe and um, to the podcast tell your friends because knowledge is protection if we can understand the threats targeting us we can assess our risk proceed wisely thanks so much have a safe week we'll talk again soon